Hello, everyone. This is Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And this is Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Thanks for joining another episode of Techspansive. You've got uh, this week me in Madrid for a Teradata event. And Ross, I know you're getting ready to head to California for a Qualcomm event. So you're catching us uh, in, in the midst of travel here, but we thought we would jump in with some content news from the past week, looking at how Apple is doing. We've got some metrics. And then for our lightning round, we'll take a look at the air power announcement, the announcement from Alexa, that they'll be moving into some AirPod-like wireless earbuds, and Google disbanding their external AI ethics board. This week, we thought we would also add at the end one tech startup of the week that we are watching and uh, that that has been interesting to us. So we'll try to make that a, a weekly edition if it's of interest to, to the listeners. Uh, so jumping into the, the news, the content news that we thought we would focus on, Apple Music has been growing at a clip of somewhere between 25 and 3%, now has somewhere around 28 million U.S. users compared to Spotify's 26 million U.S. users, which are growing at somewhere around one and a half to two percent, so they're smaller and growing at a slower rate. So it suggests that Apple Music is is gaining steam and one of their early content areas. At the same time, we saw that two hundred thousand people subscribed to Apple News Plus in its first forty eight hours, which was more than Texture had at its peak. And then Ross, you were going to hit on some uh, Netflix news as well. Uh, yeah, uh, Netflix news as it pertains to Apple's expansion into these services. What I find interesting from this collection of stories, Sean, is that first we're looking at Apple Music, which is the most mature of Apple's modern subscription programs. And uh, it may reinforce something that Spotify has uh, brought to everyone's attention about the advantages that Apple has as the platform provider. Now, Spotify is an older service, so you might expect its growth rate to be a bit slower, but that Apple has been able to amass so many users in the U.S. and that it is continuing to grow at a faster rate in what is essentially a commoditized service. Everyone kind of has the same content, access to the same content at roughly the same price. Uh, says a lot about how well uh, Apple's been executing on its first service and probably a bit about what has given it confidence uh, to move forward into all these other media areas such as uh, game subscriptions and TV subscriptions and the magazine subscriptions. It's probably a lot less impressive that Apple has been able to get uh, such uh, such interest in in t uh, their News Plus service, particularly given some of the subscription economics we mentioned uh, previously uh, in, in terms of premium content uh, services such as uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, publications and how that pricing works out. Of course, nobody really knew what not not a lot of people knew what Texture was uh, or even what its uh, previous name was that uh, escapes me at the moment. But but again, that is a strong start uh, for uh, an aggregation service. So uh, it just shows that in some ways, what has been Apple's highest profile service, a lot of the video stuff, which hasn't even launched yet, how, how the stage is, is set for that, given the level of success that it has had launching its uh, its first two services. 
how are you seeing the the launch out of the gate of these things? So I think two hundred thousand people is still a pretty small number uh, for where obviously where Apple wants to be. Sure, um, it's a good start though. Apple seems to have the ability to sell a million, uh, you know, a million devices or a million subscriptions to to anyone, <laughs> and it's kind of it's the next million that will really define Apple. I I do think though, as as you pointed out, Apple Music is their probably their most mature service area, subscription area, and that continues to just move forward. And that's a good sign. And, and actually, you to me, what's really interesting is what are the broader implications for other companies? And you see mm. Spotify having moved into podcasts, which is traditionally an area that, that Apple had strong position in and that, that uh, Spotify didn't necessarily have a very strong position in. And they continue to make investments there, trying to grow beyond just music. Clearly, they were watching how Apple was was growing and paying attention to that and looking at ways that they might be able to differentiate into other business models. So I think it it's interesting to see how other businesses will respond to some of these developments. I, I think it's also important to recognize that this is only the U.S. market, of course, an important market, but a, a lot of Spotify's listenership is on the free tier. Uh, it's something that they're very conscious of, uh, particularly in a lot of high growth economies where consumers aren't going to spend 10 bucks a month for uh, unlimited service, this uh, unlimited listening. This is uh, something that many companies have tried to crack for at least a decade. Uh, we, you may remember Nokia's Comes With Music uh, initiative to try to get music on the phone and their uh, mixed radio service, which I really loved, but uh, was, was not sustainable. So Spotify, I mean, one way that they're going to try to get around Apple's strength in the U.S. and its strength in the home market is by going more aggressive outside the U.S. and with the ad-supported tier. Raises the question, would Apple ever launch an ad-supported tier? I'd be inclined to say no. Uh, just given the very strong anti-advertising message that accompanied the launch of of a lot of these uh, uh, subscription services. And, and certainly they could build up expertise needed, but they don't have a traditional expertise or strength in selling advertising and having an advertising platform. So it would have to be expertise that they either bought or, or developed relatively Whereas if you look at some of the competitors, YouTube, for example, has been so traditionally anchored by that ad environment that it's hard for them to move away from it. They've got a lot of, uh, of expertise there in that space. And you see it permeate all of their different uh, services that they, that they have in the marketplace. Sure, absolutely. And uh, of course, Apple ran into some of those challenges with the ad model as it uh, as the app store grew, you know, and it was trying to find new ways for developers to monetize their apps. And they just did not have the kind of ad serving ad experience that uh, that Google has had, which has helped um, subsidize uh, a lot of apps and more, more effectively in, in the Google Play store. Um, that said, 
uh, iOS developers, iPhone developers uh, tend, tend to uh, do much better on the platform, uh, even, even in spite of, of that uh, deficiency. And speaking of Apple getting a little bit out of its comfort zone, uh, I was also, as you mentioned, Sean, interested in this article about how Netflix is yanking support for AirPlay 2. Uh, this is the service that allows you to cast, if you will, content from your iPhone or, or Mac or iPad up to uh, a, a television. And historically, it's been something that's worked only with Apple TV. But uh, as we've discussed on the podcast, Apple is greatly expanding that, bringing it to various brands of smart televisions and also some of the Apple TV competitive devices, such as Amazon's Fire TV and, and the Roku device. And Netflix is pulling support for it, at least for now, claiming technical issues that are preventing it from providing as good an experience on those third-party devices uh, as uh, as it wants. Now I don't know what the what the standard there is. I guess what it's able to provide on the first-party uh, devices, how how well it can manage the transition on Apple TVs, which has been uh, a pretty good or at least workable experience uh, for its millions of of iOS subscribers. So. So this is an, a new area for Apple trying to get its core technologies onto not only devices where it doesn't play, such as smart TVs, but in directly competitive devices. And it's uh, something that is very much in keeping with the media strategy. You want to get your content onto as many boxes as possible, particularly less expensive devices than, than the ones you're offering. But maybe there are some bumps uh, along the way, um, and uh, th this could be a liability if if third-party services aren't going to support your your standards. Uh, it's it's certainly still early, but it's it's one of uh, you know it's sort of a, um, a a touch of gray, I guess, or, or a little bit of a. Uh, a bit of bad news in terms of what has been a generally favorable service expansion uh, for Apple in terms of perhaps it is taking its eye off the ball uh, a, a little bit. I think Apple has just historically been in an environment where they control all of the pieces to, to the point that you made. And so if something needed to be fixed within the ecosystem, they go they, fix it. They yeah, they would fix it. They would will that into existence. But when you're working with third parties, as as other companies know, Microsoft or other companies that have spent a tremendous amount of time working with third parties, that partnership becomes key and working mm -hmm. on those things together. And inevitably, it will always take longer than you anticipate. It will require uh, updates and upgrades, which is, is something that Apple hasn't historically had to do in, in the same way. And so um, I think it's an entirely new way of, of doing business that Apple isn't necessarily accustomed to. So so not just the technical issues, or, or perhaps the technical issues are an outgrowth of those business uh, model issues that, that you mentioned. And I'll just throw in that AirPlay 2 in general, not just the video part, but the audio part. It's got an audio component too. I mean, this has been a very long gestation. Uh, I think they first announced it in 2017, uh, and there are still 
it seems only a handful of devices uh, on, in the market and many other standards. So uh, because this is the only way that Apple devices can officially send video up to a big screen, it's important uh, for, for Apple to get it right. And if I'm Netflix, even though I have uh, partnered with Google in the past to enable uh, similar competing technologies in terms of um, the Google Cast technology, which, uh, which Netflix helped develop, I am highly incentivized uh, to get this working. You know, I want to provide a great experience to my Apple device users because the last thing I want is Apple starts ramping up its competitive service and its aggregation service of all my other competitors uh, is for my stuff not to be working well on their hardware. So they've pulled it now, but uh, you know I, I have to think they're eager to get uh, back on there as, as soon as they can. And, and at the same time, Netflix already has really strong presence on the television, either mm -hmm. directly True. through the television or through Xbox or, or PlayStation or, or through, to your point earlier, Apple TV. So I, I do wonder how important being able to move Netflix content from an iPhone or an iPad to a television is for them right now. Maybe in the future that becomes important if we see consumers change the way they're, they're sourcing content and if they want to increasingly source it from uh, a mobile device. But for, for the most part, they've already got really strong real estate in that environment. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, you know, I must have five devices in my living room that can, you know, have Netflix integrated into them somehow. And it, it seems to be more of an issue for, say, YouTube, where people do tend to start the browsing experience or viewing experience on their phone or maybe their laptop. And then, hey, you know, you got to see this. And then maybe they want to put it up on the big screen uh, in the living room. So, uh, so I will uh, recant a, a little bit. Maybe it's not uh, such a high priority for them, uh, but ultimately it's it's probably something they um, they, they want to uh, have working. Well, and it's a very delicate dance for Netflix for sure because they see Apple coming at them head on while only making a relatively small investment right now in mm -hmm. original content. They know that Apple has pole position when it comes to delivering their own services to their users. And so they'll be able to really drive their content into uh, their, their consumers' hands, if you will. They've, and, seen, they've seen it with Amazon, and uh, there's a strong argument that Apple will be uh, able to ramp up even faster. Yeah. And so I think Net Netflix is aware of that and probably weary of that. I, you know, a bigger question around all of this is how important is it to have hardware business when you're in a, a content service arena? Mm -hmm. Can Netflix still be a very viable platform when they have, you know, they're competing against the Amazons and the Apples of the world who have hardware that they're delivering or they, a much wider service offering that they're delivering? And in the case of Amazon, you subscribe to Prime and then you get all of these other things included, including sure. their entire uh, content catalog. And so um, this is something that I think Spotify is looking at, needing to be more than just music. 
and perhaps you know Netflix is is looking at that as well. And if you go back to Netflix beginning when it was sending you DVDs in the mail, and we saw news this week that they still have almost three million <laughs> U.S. subscribers for that service, it, it, they were more tied into the the hardware, if you will. They weren't producing the hardware, but they had a, a uni, universal. Uh, form factor that they were using for their customers. And so arguably they didn't have any customers who didn't have no, compatible no real, hardware. No real intermediaries like they like they have today. Right. Yeah. right. And nobody who can just show up in that market uh, and, and deliver comparable goods. And Netflix has always said, you know, we're competing against sleep. We're complete, <laughs> competing against Fortnite. They're competing right. against time on device. And so... Uh, they want people on the devices, on the screens, and if things start to show up that are going to compete for that, then then that's their biggest concern. So I, I, there could be more to this than just the announcement that it, it's not a great experience, but it could be Netflix thinking about what their world looks like in a world that is increasingly crowded. Right. So uh, just one last footnote, uh, speaking of Netflix and devices, the Roku player sort of began life as this uh, dedicated Netflix box. Um, uh, and of course, it's uh, it's become far more than that. And Roku is even uh, getting into the content game as well. But my final take on this, Sean, and I'd, I'd love to hear yours, is uh, Apple seems to be off to a, a very strong start in, in music, uh, particularly in the US. Um, and early signs of some uptake in, in news. Uh, and it's, it's setting the stage for, uh, you know, potentially a, a big splash in, in video. Uh, although there, they're going to, there's, there's far more content variability. And there's some evidence, at least, that, you know, there, there's a little bit of struggle as they try to clear the runway, if you will. Uh, for uh, the TV app and the TV Plus service. Yeah, well, and, and you brought up Roku. You look at Roku and Spotify today have a partnership where you can subscribe for a little bit more each month and get access to both services. So oh, trying Hulu. to, I mean, yeah, sorry, sorry, Hulu okay. um, doing that. And so um, you see them trying to expand their, their content offering. Uh, I think to your point, what you see is Amazon continuing to make inroads into these markets and doing it at a steady pace, a pace that will continue to to gain momentum. And that's what Apple has the ability to do here is play the long game. They have mm -hmm. a very large installed base of, of devices and they can continue to play the long game in some of these other areas. Excellent. All right. So let's so go ahead. Yeah, we'll move to the lightning round now. The first one up. And uh, Ross, you can jump in here is, of course, Apple's announcement that they canceled the AirPower wireless charging mat, citing an inability to meet quality standards for the product. So as you mentioned uh, before the uh, we started recording, uh, Sean, uh, Apple's new AirPod uh, wireless uh, earbuds uh, have a... Uh, a, a message on them that they're compatible with AirPower, which of course is, is not going to come to market. I just kind of find it fascinating that, you know, the company that has reinvented personal computing and, and the smartphone 
wasn't able to get a uh, a, a charger uh, out out the door. But uh, but I understand there are rules of physics, and you know who knows what the actual weaknesses of of these things were. I, I think they were. Uh, pressured to make a bigger splash in terms of wireless charging because they were so late to the market. And I think they wanted to say, hey, we'll, we'll show you guys, you know, we'll show the industry and consumers how to do it right, uh, harder than, uh, than it looked, uh, apparently. Uh, but, uh, but still, uh, a lot of momentum behind the Qi standard that, uh, that the iPhone is, is using, which seeing it show up in lots of other devices, uh, and surely some other companies will continue to work on this. Uh, and um, a lot of interesting stuff happening in distant distance wireless charging too, although there is some, um, some speculation about that, uh, whether, uh, whether it'll ever really be uh, commercially viable. But, uh, but in any case, uh, that's, uh, that's my take on, on air power, why it happened. So do you think they canceled it for good or do you think they canceled it temporarily to buy them more time? I think it's dead. I, I can't see how they could bring it back at, at this point after such a long and em- embarrassing, frankly, gestation period. Um, meanwhile, you know, while it may not have the same flexibility as air power, a lot of companies, Belkin, you know, a lot of accessory companies offer charging pads that can charge three devices. Yes, you have to take another second or two to orient it the right way, but such such are the sacrifices we must make for, for yeah, the time so, being. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, because my quick take is that it it's hard for this to be a category that they abandon forever. Mm. Cause I think mm. they see it as the the future of, of charging. Mm. And so it being in the device business that they're in and seeing their competitors also moving in this direction uh, i think it's something that they will probably revisit certainly they have the engineering capability to to figure it out and And apparently uh, they came close yeah and i think that um that it's something that they'll they'll revisit and they'll be back to well they also said that they were going to give the core tech over to the chi standards body so you know, maybe to the extent they have some intellectual property there, it, it could help others move forward as well. Yeah, and and maybe it's putting the right pieces together, but I still think you might see Apple branded products that that uh, sure. come out in this space. Sure. Uh, the second the second item for our, our lightning round is that Amazon is reported to be preparing AirPod like wireless earbuds with built in Alexa. And those could be coming out as early as the the second half of this year. Uh, My take on this is great. This is good. I think this is a good move. And if you can create AirPods with marginally longer battery life, Mm. then you've got a good chance at uh, doing well in this category. And obviously, there's a tremendous amount of devices that aren't Apple that uh, could could benefit from, from high quality wireless earbuds. I, I like the idea of uh, having Alexa built in. I find when I'm on the road that I want to ask Alexa questions or Google questions because I frequently ask them when, when I'm at home or in my office and I don't have them in a lot of the hotels I stay at. But I don't find myself turning to Siri 
for example, hmm. in, in those environments. So it's an opportunity to extend Alexa into to new areas. Um, and I think that that'll be really interesting to see if uh, they're successful or not. Yeah, my take is what took you so long, Amazon? I mean, this is just such a natural extension. And yeah. we spoke uh, last year about, uh, you know, the earbud is a next generation platform, uh, particularly given uh, where, where the earbud market is right now in terms of how hot it is. And Amazon's incredible uh, distribution, these should be a home run easily. Uh, and I'm sure they'll work with iOS devices too. I'm not sure what will be the big advantage over other Alexa compatible earbuds, uh, but uh, you know, I'm sure they'll be priced far more aggressively than AirPods. And, and you know, as you mentioned, there's a battery life opportunity uh, and uh, a, a way for Amazon to get Alexa back into the mobile space after much of its growth has come in the home. Well, and I think aesthetics is important for this market. I, mm. I think Apple has done an incredible job at getting a, a small form factor and pretty good battery life given the yep. form factor, building the charger into the case. I mean, all of these have definitely advanced that category. And I've seen plenty that don't offer those same benefits. So it'll be mm -hmm, interesting mm -hmm. to see what uh, what Amazon decides to do. I hope that they're not too aggressive on price because I think you want the quality that you get with with Apple's uh, earpods. So sure. it'll be interesting to, to see. Uh, but to your point, anywhere there's a, a speaker and a microphone, it's a natural extension for Amazon. And right. so we should expect to see them go anywhere where microphones would fit and, and speakers would, uh, would work. Uh, a third and final piece of news from lightning round is that Google this week disbanded their external AI ethics board. Uh, and they did that pretty quickly. Um, and just, Sean, uh, I'm sorry, you, you kind of saw this a, a bit as a kind of a generational issue or, uh, well, one of the things that I noted was that uh, a part of what drove this was that uh, on that that board, which Google had only established two weeks ago, they had invited the CEO of um, the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-leaning conservative think tank based in Washington, D.C. And there, it was received with a tremendous amount of uproar within Google's own ranks. And mm -hmm. this is something that we continue to see time and again, that a company announces a policy or, or something else, and then the employees rise up. They, thousands of them sign on to a letter. They walk out. You have uh, employees taking a very democratic approach to governance when it comes to the organizations. Before we jumped on the on the podcast, you and I were joking that um, this was definitely not the type of organizations that we grew up in working for, where had the employees wanted to to voice their opinion about or their disagreement with some policy, they would have staged a walkout or signed a very public letter. Uh, so it's a very different approach. And, and I wonder if um, that will impact companies moving forward 
when they start to do these very external facing initiatives. And if, if they'll either try to float these internally first or, mm. or how that will, um, how that will work. But a lot of these companies, you see the employees stepping up and wanting them to be run like democracies. And, and that is not the history of, of corporate America. Well, I, I would say that, you know, the companies where this takes place, uh, where, where we've seen these kinds of things take place, have in some ways set the stage for this, uh, these kinds of protests by coming out and saying, these are the kinds of values we're embracing. Uh, and if you say that, you know, publicly, this is what, that we stand for something, and here's what we stand for, then you're setting yourself up for people to say, hey, you are uh, being um, uh, hypocritical. You know, you're saying you're, sta you're standing for this, and yet you're embracing something that is the opposite of that. And, you know, in terms of this particular uh, instance, I, I do see it a little bit different than some of, differently than some of the other protests around, say, drones being used by the military, uh, you know, or technology being used mm -hmm. by the military, in that, uh, you know, you could, you could argue that some of the protests were around particular positions that, uh, you know, this, this person from the uh, Heritage uh, Foundation uh, espoused, you know, some of yes. his, his particular positions. Um, but it, it also just goes to show the bind that a lot of these companies are in as uh, they encounter more political scrutiny and they are kind of stuck between the rock of conservative voices saying you are squelching us, you know, you're not providing a platform for us, you're not listening to us, uh, and the hard place of so many of their employees not, uh, <laughs> You know, not not having those views, uh, you know, particularly with so many in, in Northern California, uh, you know, very left leaning part of the country. Uh, and, uh, you know, saying if you if you try to incorporate some of these views, we think that you're you're not being true to your values. So so it is a challenge. And, um, you know, without certainly without weighing in on the particular issues, I think, you know, here Google tried to bring in uh, a kind of voice that they might not have uh, a few years ago and it was it was met with a lot of challenges so right and it, and to that point if you think about what you want from an external board you want diverse opinions you want point. some dis disagreement so right. I and mean, this was this was set up by the chief legal officer at Google as an external AI ethics board and you would think that you would want a very diverse set of perspectives mm -hmm. for something that's as divisive as AI ethics. And so what, right. what better way than to have people that have very different uh, opinions and very different political perspectives? And clearly, all the companies today are thinking about how they're positioned within Washington and then wanting to have representation on both sides of the aisle mm -hmm. in, a, in an environment where that is increasingly important. And so um, I, you know, that was maybe baked into this as well, who knows, but just looking at, at it on the surface, you would think you would want a very diverse perspective of individuals as you put together any external board. Uh, agreed, but uh, apparently not in the way this went down. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, and I think it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, what, what it looks like moving forward with these right. type of 
these type of initiatives. So now let's move on to our uh, final piece of the show where we're going to highlight one tech startup from the week. This is a tech startup that we've either come across that's been pitched to us. Um, In this particular instance, uh, Ross had a chance to uh, see a pitch and, and hear from the executive team at and we'll see if we can pronounce it correctly. O- Ovius. U- Uvos? Uvos. I'm, go- I'm going with Uvos. <laughs> it's O-U-V-O-S. Uh, Ross, you want to talk a little bit about what they do? Uh, sure. So uh, I got to see uh, these guys present at kind of a venture uh, pitch meeting uh, here, here in New York at uh, uh, that involved the Grand, Grand Central Partnership and uh, a group called Company company.co. Um, so it's kind of like a tech incubator uh, here in, in New York. So basically, Uvos uh, wants to be a very straightforward pitch. Uh, the Waze, W-A-Z-E, the, the mapping service, uh, navigation service for bikes. Uh, and so the idea is that just as Waze alerts you to things like accidents and speed traps and delays, uh, this would alert you to conditions that could be potentially dangerous for cyclists, uh, whether there's a lot of traffic or there's an accident or the conditions are not um, uh, conditions are not uh, optimal for riding. Uh, as we were talking a little bit before uh, the show, uh, clearly some ergonomic issues to overcome here. A little bit different than embedding the thing in your uh, GPS uh, console or having it in your phone uh, going up to a screen in the car where in general you're going to want, I mean, there, there are these bike computer things and lots of ways to attach a phone to a bike, uh, but ideally you would want it done with audio uh, input you know, in terms of uh, directing you to turn right at a certain place or turn left at a certain place uh, or alerting you to these potential dangers. So. Uh, there, there do seem to be some other players in the space, including Waze itself. But the reason I found it interesting was that it's an example of services that are springing up around car alternatives, and uh, particularly these new breeds of personal transportation devices, electric vehicles, uh, not electric cars, but things like e-bikes and scooters, uh, like from mine, uh, and. Uh, rethinking a bit about the world of services that have uh, been built around cars uh, for for things like navigation. So uh, that, that's what I found interesting about, about the service of the company. Well, and I think when you look at this, it's an example of something I talk about all the time with organizations and with companies is we're shifting from digitization to datafication and we're trying to ca- capture information that is out there but not being leveraged today and so this is a way of of capturing information not just location and and directions but all of the nuances that will exist on a given route so real-time hazard alerts and if you think about biking that could be any number of things that could be low-hanging limbs that were damaged in a uh, in a storm from a tree that could be potholes in the road that could be uh, uneven bike lanes and, and other things like that and so uh, I think you're seeing companies today look at 
ways of creating new opportunities from the data. And you're also looking at cities, and this is is something that we'll, we'll see cities do more of, is learning about their environments from the data and t- trying to figure out from the data. We, we saw a story from a couple of weeks ago that LA was going to limit scooter companies that won't share their GPS data with the city to a 30-day permit and only a scooter fleet of 3,000 scooters, while those that will share their data can have fleets of up to 10,500. So you, so you see the appetite for cities as well to understand the nuances and be able to use that information to hopefully improve city services. So, you know, a, a lot of uh, new potential uh, in terms of transportation services and uh, and the data around them. Um, it's going to be definitely an interesting field to watch. Yeah, and and here they're, you know, in this particular instance, they're trying to crowdsource that information initially especially when they're looking at turn-by-turn navigation because they want to collect all the information for hazards and and safety around the bike lanes in real time. So you'll be able to then utilize that information just like we utilize that in in Waze today. And I think Waze is a great example because it shows all of the information that's available there along your route, whether that's other destinations like gas stations and gas prices, but also hazards, police presence, other things like that can can be captured. And I think we'll see that idea move into a lot more service areas moving forward. Well, great. I think that's a, a wrap for this week. Thanks for joining us uh, again for another episode of Techspansive. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Uh, please tell all your friends about the podcast and subscribe. And don't forget to uh, rank us as well and rate us. If you'd rate us, give us a five star that obviously helps spread the news and um, get the word out. So we appreciate that. And we look forward to having you join us next week for another episode of Techspansive.